high-energy action film pits identity against vocation, grudges against forgiveness, and personal advancement against team building. Are you just watching? Episode 129, Top Gun Maverick. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're doing Top Gun Maverick. I mean, there's just no, I mean, there was no other option <laughs> for this it, month than. Yeah. It, it flew right into our line of sight and there was no going past oh, it. Oh, flew. Oh. <laughs> the puns are going to be bad in this one, I could tell you. Yeah, I like this movie. I actually, the weird story behind Top Gun is when it originally came out, which was at the end of the 80s, right? Like 86, I think. Yeah, 86. I was young enough that my parents wouldn't let me see it. And I saw it, I think, a few years after it came out on VHS when I was at boarding school. One of the other girls had it on VHS and played it in the dorm. And my parents had forbidden me to watch it. So I was doing something <laughs> forbidden when I watched it. And I just rewatched it today in preparation for our recording. And it was rated PG. And I'm like, why were they keeping me from watching this? It did have, you know. It had a sex scene in it. That was, yeah, I think exactly. that was it. Yeah. I don't remember. It had far less language in it than Top Gun Maverick. But I think it did mm -hmm. have some language in it. Yeah, it was definitely for the 80s, it was pushing the limits. But yeah. by today's standards, it was extremely tame. <laughs> yeah, PG-13 didn't exist back then, but it probably would have gotten a PG-13 rating. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting how our standards change from decade to decade, because hmm, now, I mean, that would not be something I would be concerned about kids watching, but. Yeah. yeah, I I was 16 when this came out, um, or 15 going on 16, depending upon when in the year it was released. Mm -hmm. And I saw it in the theater with my brother, who's a year older than me. He probably drove, too, now that I think about it. But I was, you know, young, impressionable, just teeming with teenage hormones. And this was the coolest thing since sliced bread, you know? <laughs> The Tomcat jet was still new to civilians anyway. And because of the wings on the F-14 being able to go in and out, it was almost like transformer level of coolness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, as a teenage boy, it was, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> and I was the target. I was the target audience for Top Gun Maverick. So Is that why you enlisted in the Army? No. No, 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 no. By the time I enlisted in the Army, I was 19, living on Kraft macaroni and cheese, and uh, living in a boarding house in Bangor, Maine. Decided it was time to seek a change. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting I, because looking up an article that we'll probably share in our show notes, this uh, plugged-in blog post about Top Gun influencing recruitment for the Navy and from U.S. military in general. And the fact that this movie, when it came out, it was kind of with the support of the U.S. military because they desperately need recruitment right now. And mm -hmm. so, but I thought it was interesting because I went to see this the first time with some friends of mine 
and it was a friend and her brother and her brother is in his late twenties. I believe he's working on his doctorate program in a co- in college and he came out of it going, boy, I wish I could recruit and <laughs> to be a pilot. That looks like fun. So it, it does, you know, kind of hit that, that level with a lot of people. It's like you watch it and you go, Oh, I want to do that. And so I'm calling Top Gun Maverick a Navy recruitment film because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's that is accurate. It, it's it's accurate and yep. portrays really what it was aimed at doing is to not only promote support of our military but make people want to be in the military because it looks cool and fun and all of that kind of stuff. So. Apparently, in 1993, the Navy. Recruiting did a survey, and according to the survey, 24% of recruits said television shows and movies like Top Gun had a strong influence on their decision to join. (laughs) Yeah. Well, who knew? Maybe it did influence you, and you just didn't even think about it that way. Very possible. Hey, that influence is – it can be sneaky. Yeah. So before we get too far in our initial reactions to Top Gun, I do want to mention the music. One of the really interesting things about both Top Gun movies is they start out pretty much the same way. The same music mm-hmm. with planes taking off and landing on an aircraft carrier. Obviously, Maverick had upgraded equipment and <laughs> newer planes and upgraded aircraft carrier and all of that. But it's basically the same feel. And the same music leading into the same song. So they started them out almost identically. They they had the, the words that explained what Top Gun is with a slight modification. Two. Two slight modifications. Right. They, they fixed a typo. <laughs> they yeah. did. In the original yeah. one, mm-hmm. it had ensure spelled with an I instead of an E, and they fixed the typo in the second one. And of course, there was the other change. The addition of women. Yep. Yeah. So the music that is specifically for Top Gun Maverick was produced by Lauren Balfe. They did obviously include the music that was from the original Top Gun, which was by Harold Faltermeyer. And Lady Gaga did a song, and Hans Zimmer was involved somehow. I'm not exactly sure how. Maybe it was with the original film and something that was reprised. But the actual soundtrack that was original to Maverick was actually quite good. And I recognized it. I know it was Lauren Balfe who wrote it because he also did Gemini Man, which we did back in 2019. We did a review Mm -hmm. of Gemini Man. And I have some of that music now in my play queue for movie music. (laughs) And he definitely has a definite sound to his music. And so I recognized his um, touch in the music in Top Gun. I'm going to play a little bit of it now so you can get into the mood of Maverick.
that we are in the musical mood. I didn't catch that. Uh, I mean, I saw her name in the list, but I didn't catch a song during the it movie. It was probably that was during by the her. credit. Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. I, I so rarely pay attention to the credit Credits. song unless it's a Marvel movie because I have to sit through it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, the second time I went to see the movie, I did sit through the whole credits, but I honestly don't remember what was going on then because I was talking to my dad. I took my parents to see it when they were visiting me, and my dad is – he's a Vietnam pilot, and so planes are like his life. And so we were chatting about planes and stuff during the credits, mm. so – I wasn't really paying attention to the credits. I should have been. (laughs) Mm. So this movie, well, overall from the soundtrack side of things, after rewatching the original Top Gun this afternoon, I noticed that it basically repeated the same short theme over and over again through the whole movie. And that got annoying. In fact, I think I saw something on a message board or on Facebook or something where somebody was saying, oh, thank God it didn't have the repetitive soundtrack in it. (laughs) So that was something that annoyed people about the original movie. And I think that they did well with having different music to fill, you know, the spaces throughout throughout Maverick so it didn't feel so repetitive. So that was definitely Mm -hmm. a plus. And they did throw in some nostalgic stuff in there, like the Great Balls of Fire sung by the cast. I don't think the other songs were in there. I was trying to think of some of the other songs from the original. Well, they, the Kenny Loggins Danger Zone movie opened well, Yeah, it. Yeah, but that is actually a Top Gun song. It wasn't like a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see what you're yeah. saying. Okay. Yeah. Because I think You Lost That Loving Feeling was in the original Top Gun. I don't think they reprised it in Maverick. Yeah. I remember them playing it on the jukebox, I think. Yeah. So anyway, the music definitely is a piece of nostalgia, I think, from for Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I went to see it with my parents. Everybody in the theater was between my age and my parents' age. <laughs> it was like an almost all older generation in there. So I don't know how well they attracted the younger generation with this movie, but it definitely attracted – the generation that was alive when the original came out. I bet I bet the younger ones went and saw it sooner, you know, closer to its release date. Release, yeah. And then, you know, us older folk, we're the ones who are like, yeah, we'll wait and see it when the theater's a little emptier. <laughs> I could get really good seats then. Or we're getting it like the two of us where we went to see it twice. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I have complained on this podcast before about – a lack of original content coming out of Hollywood. And then mm-hmm. we go and do two sequels. <laughs> yeah. That both of them I look at and I go, wow, these were much better than I thought they would be. Yeah. Ghostbusters Afterlife, I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But Top Gun Maverick, as far as being a sequel, I think it's the best sequel I have ever seen. Which, uh, you know, that's important because Afterlife, they went out of their way to not be derivative. So it was more like... Yeah, they were playing up the nostalgia. Yeah. It was a new movie with a story set in the Ghostbusters universe that that had a lot of callbacks, mm-hmm. but no repeated themes. This one actually had repeated themes, but they took the formula that they used for their first one and they tweaked it in such a, a way that 
they made it both fresh but respectful to the the audience in the first one. Mm-hmm. And the the changes that they made, I think, needed to be made. Some of them for political reasons, but some of it just to update it. Yeah, it, it's a different audience these days right. than it was in 1986. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, having both of us having rewatched the original Top Gun recently, mm-hmm. <laughs> boy, that that movie did not age <laughs> all that no. well. No, it didn't. No, and I think that that was. You know, not only was this a more modern movie, but looking into the behind the scenes on the making of it, it's like Tom Cruise really wanted it to be as authentic as possible. I mean, yeah. he, the actors all went through pilot training. They were all in the actual cockpits of actual planes. Mm-hmm. They were actually to the point where they were having to turn on and off their own cameras and remember their own lines because they were their own producers when yep. they were in the plane and up in the air. And just the realism of it, like the shot that you have of Tom Cruise in the plane with the three other planes behind him going over the water. That is an authentic shot. They actually used a wide angle lens inside the cockpit with mm-hmm. him so they could get that shot. And they said it's usually not very flattering to do that because it makes the person in the foreground, it's a very unflattering to them. But since yeah. he was in the very center, they could make it work. But, you know, it's just, the thought of them not using blue screen, not using, you know, like a fake cockpit on a blue screen and using all Mm -hmm. special effects, you know, it really changes the feel of it. Like you can actually see the G stresses on their faces. And yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's authentic in a way that when you go in to see the movie, you're not really thinking about that. But when you know that that's true, it just puts that the whole movie onto another level. Yeah, that, agreed. You know, they actually flew these planes. Yeah, there's a scene in the movie where Maverick sets out to prove that this impossible mission can actually be performed. And, you know, the camera is looking at him the whole time. And it's a whole bunch of very high G turns and climbs and dives and everything. Mm-hmm. And the way he is bouncing around in that cockpit in that series of you know, maneuvers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It really locks in the authenticity meter. At, oh, wow. They are doing this. Yeah. To me, that just put it on a whole nother level. And it's interesting because I didn't read that until I was prepping for this episode. And I'd already seen the movie twice when I read that. When we were sitting through the credits for the second viewing, when I went with my parents, I was actually talking about you know, well, I wonder how much special effects they used to create that. And the lady that was sitting on the other side, my parents overheard me and said, oh, no, none, of, hardly any of it was special effects. That's what I read. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow. You know, the amount of effort that went into making this movie and making it feel like you're really in the jets, you're really flying these missions, you're really feeling the, the G-force. I can't even imagine what this would have been like in IMAX because I didn't go see it in IMAX, uh. but... When I was walking out of my second viewing, I was thinking, boy, I'm glad I didn't see this in the, uh, what does Regal call it, RPX with the enhanced oh. sound system. Yeah. Probably would have blown out your eardrums. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, there was another scene where their authenticity really showed through the carrier launch mm. in the third act or fourth act. You see two things that you never see in the faked pilot carrier launches and the first is when the plane goes off the end of the runway the the aircraft deck 
the carrier deck rather, there's a drop mm-hmm. as it, you know, falls away. Gets the and wind then, under, yeah, it gets the wind under its wings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you see that in the, the picture. And mm-hmm. the other thing is when he launches, when Cruz's character launches, you actually see him reach forward and grab, I call it a dashboard. I'm sure there's an actual, the console in front of yeah. him. And you never see people do that, but that's how they really launch. Mm-hmm. So it really just felt they did such a good job. I know I'm harping on yeah. that. I'll, I'll, let's move. Let's move on. <laughs> well, I have to repeat the line I put in the in my notes because I'm very proud of it. It's like this movie blew the original Top Ground out of the sky without a dog <laughs> fight. It really did. I mean, there's just there's there really is no comparison other than the fact that Tom Cruise is in it and Val Kilmer's in it as well. I mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that Val Kilmer. I think he actually lobbied to be in the movie. Oh, my understanding was that Cruz insisted on Kilmer being in the movie. Yeah. That's what I had read. And I hadn't understood, you know, what that an effort that would be for him. Mm-hmm. His character in the movie has throat cancer and is not able to speak well. And in real life, Phil, Phil Kilmer has had throat cancer and can no longer speak. Right. So he has a, I guess, an artificial voice box that he can use but they actually made an AI computer to authentically create his voice so that they could voice over the few spoken mm-hmm. words that he has in the movie. And I, I appreciate that they they paralleled his character with his real life challenges. And yeah. I, I appreciated that. I mean, Val Kilmer has always been one of my favorite actors. I don't think he's gotten nearly as much acclaim as he should have as an actor. Hmm. The Saint is actually one of my favorite movies. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I think it's been since it came out that I watched that one, too. Yeah. I used to watch it over and over again. I had it on VHS, and I watched it all the time. It was one of my favorite (laughs) movies. So I think he's a bit of a chameleon as as an actor and can really do just about anything. And I just, I've always appreciated him. So I'm glad he got a cameo in this movie. It's, I'm looking forward to seeing a making of documentary for this. I hope they include mm-hmm. that because, you know, how much went into the making of this. Val Kilmer's voice was actually a big deal in mm-hmm. computer circles because of the artificial intelligence that they specifically designed to replicate, or rather the artificial intelligence that was designed to replicate voices. And Val Kil- mm-hmm. they partnered with Val Kilmer to advertise it. This was a couple years before the movie. Yeah. And if you go on YouTube and you search, and I'll, I'll put a link in the, the show notes, you search for Val Kilmer AI voice. Mm-hmm. It's really inspiring to yeah. hear it. And the one on YouTube is actually a replication of his voice from when he was younger. Mm. Not as young as in The Saint, but you know before he lost his voice to the cancer. Yeah, And they, they did such a good job matching the AI voice in this to somebody who was having trouble speaking because of the cancer it really was impressive. Yeah, I have a friend of mine who's had to have her voice blocks removed because of throat cancer. So I could see that if they could ever come up with an AI thing that, you know, you could literally have on your phone that could speak for you, that would be like an an amazing yeah. advancement yeah. for the pe- the voiceless people in our society. Mm-hmm. She tried to to do Uber for a while, and people were so rude to her because she really? couldn't speak. Yeah, that she had to give it up, and it just saddened me that people don't have Aww. 
a, a lot of um, patience with people who have trouble speaking. It's it's kind of sad. So I, I you know I, I hope this is a, an advancement that not only helped give Val Kemmer a voice in this movie, but might you know go forward to help other people. Yeah, yeah. to actually have a, a way to to have a voice again. Mm. So other than having an artificial voice box. <laughs> So the only other initial reaction I have about this movie was, uh, other than, you know, the, the character development was quite good, but I think that the realistic action really sold the movie, which we've already yeah. discussed. And I'm pretty sure that there will be young men who join the Navy because of this. <laughs> <laughs> More power to them. Yeah. All military service is something to be honored. Yes. I had two other comments I wanted to make from my initial impressions. The first is that I really appreciate the fact that the filmmakers left stuff to your imagination. It said, our viewers are intelligent enough to figure this stuff out. There's mm -hmm. a storyline in here, the love storyline, between a character named Penny and Maverick, and it is clear that there is an entire history of a relationship and they don't hit you with, you know, exposition. <laughs> yeah. They don't slap you with all the information you need to fill in the blanks. They leave it to you to do. And I really appreciate them doing that. And at the same time, it is a nostalgic dig. It's at a couple of, of lines in the original. Topic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I came out of my first viewing going, why do I feel like Penny was in the first one? The actor wasn't. No. There was no Penny character actor in the first one, but it turns out there were two throwaway lines that they mm -hmm. they hearkened back to, and I just, mm -hmm. I got a, such a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was very well done. Yeah. My second thing was I wanted to call out John Hamm. He has a supporting role in this. Uh, he plays Admiral Bo Cyclone Simpson, but he does such a good job of bringing depth to his presentation of his character. There's one point in there where he says there's nothing he can do for Maverick, and he delivers that line with the perfect level of emotional hitch, but command authority. That specific line just really struck a chord with me, and I really appreciate it. I hope he gets a nod, an Oscar nod, for his uh, <laughs> supporting work on this. He deserves one. Yeah. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I can't think of any performances that were truly bad in this movie. Usually there's maybe an actor or two who are not really pulling their full weight. But I think that yeah. even down to, you know, Amelia, Penny's daughter, and... You know, some of the other more minor roles, I think they all really, really hit on. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, we, ha we've, we've gone through all these initial reactions and we haven't talked about Rooster. I think that the, the fact that they were able to cast somebody to play Goose's son, who oh. not only looked enough like him that you could have pointed him out in a crowd as saying, being Goose's son, yeah. but it had the mannerisms and the, you know, just, I mean, it was just so much about him that spoke of his dad. And it was like, how did they do that? These actors were not even related and they look like they were. So, oh, yeah. He he was a spitting image. Yeah. 
So I, I really appreciated the rooster character. And, and it was funny because looking at some of the, once again, trivia about the movie is that he chose the call sign rooster because he was trying to come up with another bird since, you know, his dad. <laughs> and the, all of the actors got to choose their own call signs. You know, when you consider the the call sign hangman, that really brings another level of, of weirdness to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, before we move into our theme discussions, I do want to remind you that you can comment on our show notes for this episode, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 129. And I do recommend that you go and read our show notes. I I know a lot of podcasts out there just put like essential information in their show notes with a brief outline of what we cover. But our, our show notes are in depth. They are things <laughs> that... Maybe too much, though. <laughs> well... Tim really enjoys writing it all, so <laughs> I do. they're worth reading. <laughs> yeah, We typically might even add some stuff to the show notes that were not in the episode, kind of like afterthoughts that we have after we have recorded and we put those in the show notes. So if you aren't going and, and checking on our show notes, I do encourage you to do that. They are worth the read. You can also call us at 513-818-2959. You can send a text or leave a voicemail. It's not an active line that we that we answer, but we do check it and we get notifications when there is a text or a voicemail on there. That is a good way to connect with us. You can also email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And we really appreciate hearing from our listeners. That is very helpful to us to know you're out there. You know, ask us questions, suggest movies. We'd love to have that interaction. Amen. All right. So the very first theme that I thought of when I was walking out of my first viewing was there is – we should mention that we're going to no longer be avoiding spoilers. I'm not sure that we really have done a very good job of avoiding yeah, that's true. spoilers. <laughs> you know, it, we are no longer going to be consciously avoiding spoilers. How about that? <laughs> so – in the movie, the relationship between Rooster, who is Goose's son, as we mentioned, and Maverick is – it comes in strained because, as it turns out, Maverick pulled – Rooster's pulled his papers from the Naval Academy, and Bradshaw says it set his career back four years, which makes sense. Yeah. Now, he doesn't actually know the whole story, but he – holds Maverick responsible, reasonably so. Right. But by the end of the movie, they've saved each other's lives a couple times, and their relationship is repaired. The final scene in the movie is the two of them working on this World War II P-51 Mustang, you know, doing the almost Norman Rockwell-ish father-son activity. Right. But I, I thought it would be nice to talk about the impact of holding grudges because you know grudges can poison you i have a lot of flaws i am very lucky however that i don't normally latch on to a grudge a wrong and you know write it guard it in my heart and and let it influence me i i'm much more likely to forget even if that forgetting doesn't come with forgiving mhm but Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
And, you know, that's good, solid advice, no matter how you look at it. But that particular verse, it jumped out at me because the Hebrew word for grudge in that verse, the Hebrew word that's used, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Hebrew (laughs) because I would (laughs) murder it, means to watch over, guard, or be slow to anger. So it gives you the sense that you're refusing to let go of your anger and you're nursing it, you're guarding it in your heart to keep it burning like, you know, like a campfire that you don't want to go out. So you keep feeding little bits in it. You go back to it and you keep feeding little sticks to keep it just a little bit of flame going so that it will be there if you need it. And, you know, that speaks to Proverbs 423, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And everything that is in your heart impacts what you are, who you are, what you do. It impacts everything that comes out of your mouth, every action you take. It contaminates your very being, right? Mm -hmm. And Ephesians 432 says, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. When you hold a grudge, you are not, you cannot be forgiving. You can be forgetting, but you can't be forgiving. And that just goes to show how bearing a grudge can be doubly poisonous. It not only does it prevent you from forgiving the way that we are forgiven through Christ's sacrifice, but it also contaminates everything else you do and and causes you to continue to sin as you feed that anger. Right. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, this this kind of ties in even to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. That, you know, it said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies mm. and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Mm-hmm. It's Matthew five forty-three through 47. We can only control how we react to other people. So mm-hmm. you can't control the other person. It's like, so w- when you're holding a grudge, that is you. That is not the other person. And when you forgive someone, that is you, not the other person. So it, it we can only control our side of those relations, relational problems. And mm-hmm. I find it interesting that in this movie, you know, Rooster is holding the grudge. And Maverick has a completely different perspective on on it. In fact, the the discussion that he has with Iceman further on in the movie, you know, is like, if I don't send him on this mission, he'll never forgive me. And if I do send him on this mission and he doesn't come back, I'll have lost him. Either way, it's a bad choice. I'll have lost him forever. And he tells Penny in another point in the movie that he fears that he wasn't the father that Rooster needed. Mm-hmm. So it's it on all of this, all he is seeing is Goose's son. He doesn't care that Goose resents him in any way except for the fact that he wishes he didn't, you know, that he wishes that he could mend that relationship. So just a reminder that 
you know, grudges are one-sided. They prevent us from being able to see perhaps the other person's perspective on however we felt wronged. In this instance, Maverick never intended to wrong Rooster. Yeah. You know, I in that particular regard, I actually appreciate the fact that this was uh, as much a sacrifice, a known, a willing sacrifice on Maverick's part. Uh-huh. He said, I made a promise to his mother before she died that I would keep him from becoming a pilot. Uh, and then he says, uh, he already resents me. Why should he resent her too? Right. So, you know, he seems to indicate that he's accepting this consequence of his action in order to save Rooster's mother's memory. And right. I, I really do appreciate that. And, and you know, a number of times he goes on to say the kid isn't ready. He's not ready. Right. I didn't think He's he was ready. ready. It's like it's like a dozen times throughout the movie. But by the end of it, I was I was really feeling like that was his justifying incorrectly or tricking himself to justify his actions. Right. And holding him back. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I don't think... When you see them take off on the mission in the final, I don't think Rooster was ready. And mm-hmm. and he showed that he wasn't ready because he was holding back. You know, he wasn't closing the gap. He was flying safely instead of pushing the limits. Yeah. And, and he had to, like, reach a point where he had to, you know, give up his lack of confidence and actually fly the plane. And I'm wondering, in a way, when Maverick chose him to be on the team, he knew that that Rooster wasn't ready, but he knew he never would be ready until somebody trusted him to do it. And in a way that reprises uh, Maverick's position in the original Top Gun, where he they put him on the mission as backup, and he wasn't ready because he was still suffering the trauma of lo- losing Goose. Losing Goose, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it was, uh, it was a good parallel between the new two movies, but it also showed that in order for him to have the confidence – he he had to just be put in the position to to yeah. do it. Well, we're going to move quickly through these because we don't <laughs> we have limited time and lots of things to talk about. <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to remind you that our podcast is listener supported. We give great thanks to our current patrons: Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who give to us generously on a monthly basis. You can also set up a monthly support for us by going to are you just watching.com slash patreon you can also support us through paypal by going to are you just watching.com slash paypal those are our two options for supporting us and every little bit helps so we we appreciate the monetary support all right so there were a couple of like i i'm kind of thinking they're sort of minor themes but we're going to sandwich them together into a bigger theme there is a topic that comes up fairly regularly in the beginning of the movie. And this is, if you haven't seen the movie and you're just listening to our review without having seen the movie, when we first see Maverick in this movie, he is part of a, what do you, you call this, a prototype testing yep. for... A test pilot. Yeah, he's a test pilot for the Dark Star Project, and they are trying to go over Mach 10, which seems almost like they shouldn't be able to do that within the Earth's atmosphere. But then again, he was nearly putting himself in orbit, <laughs> so it sort of makes sense. He, he's done this whole Mach 10 thing, even though the program is being shut down by an admiral who wants the budget for an unmanned project. 
Mm-hmm. And so th- when he confronts Maverick after Maverick actually destroys the plane, whoopsie, he keeps telling Maverick there is no future for him as a pilot, that the future is going elsewhere. It's going into unmanned piloting, which that is true. Yeah. A lot of our missions now are going to unmanned. It's just safer to have the pilot manning them from a computer somewhere in a safe room <laughs> other mm. than being in the cockpit. That, I mean, that's only the truth that they are risking fewer. But part of that is because, as we mentioned earlier, you know, they don't have enough pilots. So why why would you want to risk a pilot when you can yeah. do something unmanned? But he, he kept saying, you know, that there's no future, that he's only bought time for, you know, the the Dark Star Project people, that they're still going to lose their jobs. It's kind of a, a thought process of how do you plan for a future when the future is rapidly changing. And if you've developed a skill that is being made obsolete by the track of technology today, for that matter, I mean, we're seeing that happen just in fast food. I mean, Hmm. people can order on their phones or they can uh, order on kiosks. They don't need to talk to a living person. We're seeing a lot of that change or, you know, where we're phasing out certain types of services and certain types of jobs because technology Mm -hmm. can do it more efficiently. So how does that look from a Christian worldview when we're talking about planning our future, when we're talking about career planning and um, looking towards, I mean, what we do with our lives? And I think that from a Christian perspective, it's a little different. I mean, it's like, when I graduated from college, I was wanting to go into publishing. Publishing has changed a lot in mm, the, in that the it has. 25 years since I've been in, in my career. And when I graduated from college, I wanted to become an editor in a publishing house. And nowadays, publishing houses are really, you know, downsizing because most people are going, I mean, why go through a publishing house when you can publish for free on Amazon yourself and not have mm-hmm. to worry about your manuscript ending up in a slush pile somewhere or a reject bin. And so, you know, that industry has changed. And I, you know, I I look back on it and I'm like, Lord, thank you for not sending me that direction. Because if Mm. I had gone the way that I wanted to go, I would have been high and dry without a job by now. And so God took me in a different direction. And I'm very happy with my job. I actually got into publishing on the back end because I do book layout for a living. And it's just one of those things where as Christians, we have to have a different perspective of, of what the future looks like. Yeah. Above all, we should be preserving the true future, which is the coming of the Lord and the spreading of the gospel, because that was the great commission that was given to all Christians, not just to pastors and missionaries. We were all told to go out and make disciples and to spread the gospel. And so that is above all what we should be doing, regardless of what we've chosen as a career. And our career should always be focused towards what Christ wants us to do. One yeah. of my favorite passages on this is Matthew six thirty four. It says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then in James four thirteen and through 15, it says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such mm-hmm. a city and spend a year there, do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So just a reminder about future planning. And and I think, you know, to be honest in this movie, I think Maverick really handles it very well whenever he's presented with this. 
before you uh, move on to the next bullet point, I did want to call out what I thought was a really interesting, really intriguing book by an author named Tony Renke called God, Technology, and the Christian Life. Mm-hmm. And he looks at how God has used technology from the very beginning of the biblical story, from the very beginning of Scripture, from the family of Cain, and how he used technology both for the saved and the unsaved, uh, how he used it to glorify his name. So as we talk about, you know, drones and, and advancements, I'd like to point at this book as an excellent opportunity to consider how God continues to use technology in the Christian life as well as the worldly life. Yeah. The point I was going to say was that I think that Maverick does a good job of handling these challenges, you know, because mm. he always says, you know, that may be so, but not today. You know, I'm, I may yeah. not have a future later, but today I'm still flying. And, and I think that even when he gets discouraged in the movie because, you know, Val Kilmer's character, the general I, that, that he, that Iceman has become was protecting Maverick, keeping him in the Navy. And when he dies, he no longer has his guardian angel. Mm-hmm. to keep him from losing his commission. And, and I think that, you know, that was a, there was a moment of doubt there. And then Penny told him, it's like, listen, these are your pilots and you will never forgive yourself if you give up on them. And so I think that, yeah. he, you know, he was really much, pretty much just dwelling on the now. And I think that that is, you know, he was not focused on advancing his career. He was focused on being the best pilot he could be. And I think that in, in, in a way that it, applies back to us. We shouldn't be seeking advancement so much as being the best Christian that we can be Yeah, with God's help, because that is focusing on the here and now, taking each day as it comes and and following God's will in that, I think is probably the, the best way to, to preserve our future. And we need to embrace where God has us in our lives too. Right. You, you commented how Penny pointed out that these were his pilots, and, and that really does speak to where Maverick was in, in his career. Mm-hmm. He was teaching this group of pilots to perform this impossible task. And after Ice died, and he was ousted as an instructor, Cyclone, the air boss, took over the teaching, and he decided that he was going to change the mission parameters which would make the mission easier to do, but would almost guarantee that after the mission was complete, they would have to mm-hmm. dogfight these super advanced, they called them Generation 5 fighters. And as a matter of fact, at the very beginning, when they asked Maverick for his original assessment of the mission, he said, someone's not coming back from this. And that's what the air boss latched on to. Mm-hmm. But Maverick, he grabbed on to the final thing that he wanted to teach them, which was how to do the mission and come home. Right. And that really speaks to how his responsibility had changed over his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see an attitude, a, ma- a maturity about him. Even though he stayed captain through his entire career, yeah. he definitely had a maturity that he could. And, and he, you know, he told Ice, I'm not a teacher, but he knew 
that those men's lives were valuable. And I, and he made the best instructor because even though he, the way he presented the mission was nearly impossible at the same time, he had put it together in such a way that they had a chance, a much better chance of coming home alive Mm -hmm. and not just completing the mission, but actually returning. And you know, (laughs) this is a verse I, I have in my signature block. So it's a verse that's always been very special to or has been special to me over the last decade or so and will continue to be special to me. <laughs> Proverbs twenty twenty nine: the glory of young men is in their strength and the splendor of old men is in their gray hair. And, you know, like so much of Proverbs that it, it applies different ways throughout your life. But what it says here in relation to this discussion is that young men are young men for a reason. <laughs> And they have different resources available to them, different skill sets, less experience, but they have a different job when they're in their 20s than they do when they're in their 50s. And we need to embrace that. And we need to allow the resources that God has given us to shine through in what we do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know what happens to Maverick at the end of this movie. I mean, it ends just like the original movie ends with a successful mission. So there's not a lot of what happens to Maverick. We get the impression from earlier in the movie that this was his last mission flying for the Navy, but performed it well. So, you know, are they going to kick out a pilot that's a hero? I don't know. But, you know, the... Being able to handle what he did with Grace, you know, it's like he came back to do that mission. He was not slotted to be the lead on that mission, but he was the only one who could successfully fly it. And so he proved himself and and he wanted those young pilots to know it was possible. And he proved that it was possible. And so then he yeah. was able to lead them in. And I think that that was a very important role that he played. And preserving the future of the young pilots that were flying with him. In fact, he sacrifices himself to, to save Rooster so that mm-hmm. Rooster can make it back safely, which will come on, come about a little later in our, <laughs> our discussion. <laughs> yeah. And that, that particular scene falls into the, wow, that is an action packed movie category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so our next theme that we want to talk about is the theme of identity. And this is comes specifically from a particular line in the movie where Maverick is speaking to Iceman, who has called him in, wanting to talk about work, even though that's not what Maverick wants to talk about. <laughs> this is a really funny. It's like, you know, let's not talk about that. I was, let me ask you, me what I could do for you. And he just points at the screen again and says, no, I, I called you here to talk about work. So Maverick is trying to defend the fact that he doesn't really want to be doing what Iceman has got him doing. He says, I'm not a teacher. I'm a fighter pilot. It's not who I am. It's what I am. So it's this difference between I'm Maverick and I also fly planes and I am a fighter pilot. You know, it's like that's all he is, is a fighter pilot. And that's why he's never advanced in his career, because it's all he ever cared to do. Because if you... I guess advance out of flying planes, you know, you get promoted, you get promoted to a desk and he never wanted promotion to a desk. He wanted to fly those planes. Yeah. That's, that's actually an issue for my pilot friend, Clay. Mm -hmm. He's to the point now where he's a commander. So he's an O five 
And for him to continue to advance in the Navy, he has to accept a non-flying position. And he right. he's not really comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I can I, see where I, that I would be a problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you went into the Navy or the Air Force or the Army to fly. And in order to advance your career, you have to give up flying. It's like, why would you want to advance? Why would you want to go any further? You know, it's interesting. You know, they asked that question of Maverick at the beginning of the movie. He's like, you should be a senator. You should be an admiral. Why are you still a captain? He's like, it's one of life's mysteries. But you know that it's the answer to it is because he didn't want to stop flying. That's what he Mm -hmm. enjoys doing. That's what he wants to do is to fly. And you you almost wonder if his previous off-screen misbehaving was at least a little bit intended to keep him from being being promoted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's a certain amount of wisdom to Maverick's intentional (laughs) keeping of where he is, where he's staying a pilot. And uh, I I don't want to suggest that Maverick's a Christian because he doesn't portray any particular Christian attributes mm-hmm. but it does remind us that in first peter four ten and 11 it says just as each one of us has received a gift use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of god if anyone speaks let it be one who speaks god's words if anyone serves let it be from the strength god provides so that god may be glorified through jesus christ and everything to him be the glory and the power forever and ever amen and that is how we are supposed to be living our lives. We are in the position we're in and we're doing what we're doing, not because of random turn of events or because the person we interviewed liked us better than the other people that they interviewed or because we ticked off somebody. We're there because God intends it and we need to be using our God-given skills and talents to be bringing glory to God and and to to point back to him. God makes everything work to his good. And frequently that means putting exceptionally talented people where they need to be when they need to be there regardless of whether or not they believe in God. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because, you know, identity has become such a touchy subject in our culture mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Our society is like before anything else, you are your identity and not who you are as an individual. And and so I think it's interesting that, you know, in this movie, Tom Cruise as Maverick identifies as a fighter pilot. So I don't know exactly how that fits into our identity <laughs> culture, but he is a fighter pilot above everything else. But in Christendom, and we have pointed this out in previous reviews, so mm-hmm. this is just kind of like touching base with this topic again, because it's so important in our society right now. As Christians, our number one identity is Christian. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with whether we're male or female or black or white or Asian or... There's, there is no writer on Christian. It is it's just, just Christian. Christian. Exactly. And that comes from the scripture entirely. It says Galatians 3.28 says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have no identity other than Christian. So all of the things that come with the multiple identities that people are clinging to in our society today, when you become a Christian, you lay aside the claim 
to those identities because you are mm-hmm. first and foremost a Christian above all other things. And being a Christian should remove the desire to hold grudges against other people, to be forgiving of, a, of you know, the ways that you have assumed yourself to be wronged, whether it, you were wronged or not. You forgive the person who has wronged you. You don't hold grudges. You portray the, the fruit of the Spirit in your interactions with others. And that should wipe away all of the identity crises that you had before you became a Christian. Yeah. And it, that is so freeing. I mean, I don't understand why more people in the world don't want to have that because it just <laughs> it just removes all of the angst and the anger and the oppressive victimhood and all of those mm-hmm. other things that are just, just, you know, ripping our society apart. It's just everybody just find Christ, have the Holy Spirit in your life, because I know it doesn't make us perfect because we're still fallen humans uh, under the blood of Jesus, but it sure helps to be able to take that identity above everything else. That's going to Galatian- be my new t-shirt, find Christ and chill. <laughs> chill, yeah. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our identity. There's yeah. nothing of what we would cling to as our identity as people. After we become Christians, all God sees, all we should feel is Christ. That is all mm-hmm. who we are. That is our identity. And that's not to say that we're not going to continue to have struggles. Uh, oh, in yeah. my in my denomination, the PCA, that there is uh, still three years, three or four years later, there's this ongoing discussion and argumentation about uh, something called Revoice, where it was intended to help Christians who struggle with same sex attraction. And I have great sympathy for Christians who struggle with that. I I know it can be very, very difficult. But the the point is, is that, you know, every Christian struggles with sin. Right. And it's okay to struggle with sin. It's part of our sanctification process. But if you're a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction— that does not make you a gay Christian. <laughs> yeah. If you're a Christian who comes from a family that came from England and Scotland and Germany and has Caucasian blood through and through, that does not make you a white Christian. You are a Christian who is Caucasian. <laughs> just to to pound home your point, we are Christians not just first, but we are Christians above all. Yeah. I would say only. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, we won't beat that horse anymore because we have already beaten it in previous oh, episodes. Oh, come on. We've but... never talked about it before. <laughs> we have other things to talk about. Okay. That so we before we move on to our last couple themes, I do want to mention that you should be connecting with us in some way, shape, or form. We do want you to subscribe to our feed, however you want to do that. There are multiple ways to subscribe to it, but uh, Apple Podcast, I think, makes it st- so you can still subscribe to a podcast and get the episodes delivered automatically. Mm-hmm. 
don't know how well all of the other podcast deliverers do that, but you can find us there. Make sure that you are either on our mailing list, part of one of our groups, or you have subscribed so that you know when our episodes come out. We don't want you to miss an episode, so make sure that you subscribe. We'd love to have you review us wherever you can and share our podcast. Please. Whenever you see us, you know, post a podcast on Facebook or Discord or whatever, go ahead and share it with your friends and family who are moviegoers who would enjoy this kind of critical thinking podcast because the more you share it, that is our advertising. We do not advertise at all. It is all word of mouth. So if you're not sharing us, then nobody's going to know about us. And so we really would appreciate you sharing our episodes with friends and family. We ask that you could join our Facebook discussion group, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. That'll take you directly to the group. There is questions to answer to join the group, but if you answer the questions, you're automatically in. If you don't answer the questions, you won't get in. So just make sure you answer those questions. You can also join our Discord community. That is the invitation for that is areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord. And when you type that in, it will take you to Discord. And if you don't have it installed, you don't have to. You can run it directly from a browser. But we'd love to have you join our community there. Now, I think probably one of the biggest themes in Top Gun comes out of a question that you asked your pilot friend. Yeah. So Clay is not only a Navy uh, F-18 pilot, but he's also a Top Gun pilot. He has flown what's called Op 4, which is the opposition force at the Top Gun Academy, and had some really, really fascinating information. I I sent him five questions last night, and bless his heart, he's on vacation with his family down in Orlando, but he took time to respond, and I'll link the entire document in the show notes. But he gave a great answer to what was my final question. And I I wanted to read it out here just so everybody could get a sense of how this applies to the movie. The question was, finally, Glenn Roberts, the chief of the Pentagon's entertainment media office, said, quote, the real Top Gun pilots aren't the cocky role benders portrayed in the film, people who would never exist in naval aviation. Instead, they're studious air nerds who toil away for hours in the classroom and participate in intense training flights at Naval Air Station Fallon in Nevada, the site of the actual Top Gun school. And I asked him, would you agree with that? And he said, I agree 100%. And I actually have edited what I'm reading. So if you want to see the full answer, go to the show notes. I agree with this 100%. As cool as Maverick is, I don't think he would actually last long in real Top Gun. That said, I don't think Hangman would have either, as teamwork, likability, and just all-around good dude skills are important. In fact, the real purpose of Top Gun is to train people who will then go back to the fleet to train the rest of the people. If the Top Gun grads were all don't think, just do, or otherwise unfriendly, abrasive, or rude, then they would be poor teachers indeed. And that is so important, especially as you grow in your church family. Right. You need to step forward and be willing to mentor either one-on-one or in a classroom situation, the younger Christians and sometimes the older Christians. You need to, (laughs) you need to be a family member. (laughs) 
Well, that's what, you know, Christ's final command to us, the Great Commission, was to go and make disciples. It wasn't just to introduce people to Christ. It was to make disciples. Mm -hmm. That is not just like, oh, having somebody pray the sinner's prayer. It's to actually invest time into people and mentor them in the faith. And that is, you know, in the purpose of Top Gun, you know, he's he's saying that these pilots are going to be trained to be you know, the people who go back and train others and turn others into excellent pilots. So they're not going there to excel themselves. They're going there to help equip them to help others excel. And so I think that that is a really wonderful parallel with Christianity because we Mm -hmm. don't strive to excel in the faith. We strive to equip others to excel in the faith. And by equipping others, we excel ourselves, but that is not our goal. Our goal should never be to to be the one on top, which yeah. is kind of the way they portray these pilots in Top Gun movies. That's not the purpose. It's not to be the excellent pilot. It's to be the team builder, the the leader the, who leads by example. And, you know, the servant leader who – and to be honest, you know, Maverick really ends up there. I think even yeah, though he is he the, the hot-dogging pilot, he does end up there in the sequel. So I do think that, you know, maybe – his original character in the original Top Gun would not have survived Top Gun, but I think he matured and, and you see him as an excellent teacher who's really pushing them to be better, to, to meet their limits and push beyond yeah. their limits and, yeah, and be you, better pilots. Your comment, not striving to excel, but equipping others to excel is, is spot on for mm-hmm. the development of the Maverick character in uh, the sequel. Yeah. And it is so important, not only to the movie, but to Christians. I really like that. Yeah. You know, my t-shirt might be get Christ and chill, but uh, my coffee (laughs) cup is going to read not striving to excel, but equipping others to excel. (laughs) We got a lot of one-liners in here. (laughs) We need to start. uh, Are you just watching merch? I'll tell you what. (laughs) Merch, yeah. All right, so the scripture that I put down for that is Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. To be honest, that is, as Christians, as we mature in the faith, we should be slotting ourselves into one of those positions, because that is what we should be working. If we can't be pastors, like, I'm a woman, so I believe that, you know, in complementarianism, we I don't strive for leadership in the church, but I can be a teacher. Mm-hmm. That That is something that, that Christ is, is equipped women to do, is to teach. And so there's yeah. something that every Christian can plug themselves into to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up, not tear down. When, when we have these church conflicts where everybody's like butting heads over things, it's a good thing to remind ourselves is that that doesn't build up the body. Where are we in these conflicts? Are we tearing down fellow Christians or are we encouraging them in the faith and building them up? And we see Maverick building up Rooster in this movie to try and and force him to better himself and be a better pilot. Sometimes despite Rooster's intent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is the way we should be as Christians, you know, as we mature in the faith. Now, I'm not saying a baby Christian should immediately start teaching, or becoming mm-hmm. a pastor. I mean, we mature in the faith to that point, but we should always be striving to build up others and not tear them down. Yeah. So there was a real brief topic I wanted to discuss, just because I feel like it's such an important part of the movie mm-hmm. that it deserves a mention, even though there's not 
a great deal to say about it. And that's the fact that this mission, and perhaps, you know, it's fictionalized. So there's a little bit of that would never happen built into mm-hmm. it. But right. the mission in the movie is so important and the timing is so important that it has to be done even if it results in the death of six pilots and the loss of four multi-million dollar aircraft. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, as a vet, that's something that I had to understand. There are times where commanders, you know, when they order a unit into combat, they know that not everybody is going to come home. Right. You know, you look at military deaths over the last year, calendar year, and look how many people the military have lost to training missions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was just another aircraft crash out in the West Coast just last week. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's all in service to a critical mission, which is, you know, preparedness and being ready to serve your country. And, uh, you know, in the military, we all signed up for that. I think there was a line in the movie where the boss was telling Maverick, you know, that these yeah. pilots know the risks, that, that they're they're going into this knowing the risks. It's, it was Maverick who's saying, but I want him to come home. So Yeah. He said, every mission has its risks. These pilots right. accept that. And Maverick replies, I don't. Yeah. And I just wanted to call that out because, first, there's a callback to Star Trek Next Generation. And anytime I can get a Star Trek call out, <laughs> and you know I'm going to do it. There was a, a later series episode called Thine Own Self where Counselor Deanna Troy is going for her command evaluation. And throughout the the episode, she keeps failing, she keeps failing. And it appears to be a Kobayashi Maru. But it turns out that the solution to the scenario that she's, she keeps failing is she has to send in not only one of her people, but one of her best friends to a situation where he will certainly die. Mm. And she has to order him to do it knowing those consequences. And, you know, that that is an important part of being a commander. You have to be willing to to put the greater good before the needs the of the of individual. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that would be tough. We we look back at, at the stories in Fox's book of martyrs Mm -hmm. and you know you read about the men and women who are thrown into the coliseum and eaten by lions mauled by lions and they were told you know what you denounce this jesus guy and we'll let you go yeah and they didn't do it and they were looking at the mission they were looking at the greater good and they were sacrificing themselves for it Mm -hmm. and God willing, we in America will never have to do that. But we cannot forget that there are people all over the world this very day who are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And we always need to pray for them. Definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, that's Christ gave his life for us. And, and he said, there's no greater love than giving your life for others. But to know that you're sending others to die, that would be a difficult thing. And, but, you know, Christ didn't promise us an easy life as Christians. So yeah. we just have to take that into perspective. Now, the, the final parting shot that I have, my favorite lines in this movie, <laughs> I, I say lines because it's a, it's actually two lines. We, we referred to it earlier that Maverick takes basically a missile for Rooster to try and give him a chance to get back to the ship safely at, after the end of the mission. And he gets shot down. Well, instead of flying back to the ship safely, Rooster comes back to help Maverick. And Maverick would have died if, if Rooster hadn't come back. So it was, he saved Maverick's life. But then he gets mm -hmm. shot down. So they're both shot down behind enemy lines. And Maverick comes running out to where Rooster lands in this parachute and knocks him down. And he says, what the <laughs> heck were you thinking? And Rooster's like, you taught me not to think. <laughs> And Maverick was like stumped by that. It's like, um, yeah, I did kind of teach him not to think. In that the that was such a good scene right there. <laughs> yeah, I just and of course everybody in the theater died laughing because it was just so true. But the whole point of that, and I think you're gonna have something to say about that from your friend Clay, but you know, the whole point of, you know, being taught not to think is so anti what we do in this podcast, because the whole point of our podcast is to not turn your brain off, to always be thinking critically about your entertainment choices and whatever. And and so it's like the exact opposite of mm -hmm. what we stand for in this podcast to be taught not to think. It's just as much as I enjoyed that line in the movie, uh, it, it's just a reminder of, of why we are here and why we exist as a podcast. Yeah, it was a great gimmick that played into Maverick's personality, and it served the story well. Yeah, his instinctual way of flying. But in the end, um, so it, this is actually a continuation of Clay's answer to my earlier question. And he says, one of my beefs with the new movie was, this, was the idea, if you think in the jet, you die. With the advances in both our capabilities and our peers around the world, modern air warfare has to become much more a thinking game. I'm not sure what fighting was like back in the, quote, big fighter, the Tomcat. But now you'll likely die multiple times on the way to the merge, which is what it's called when two airplanes finally get close enough to see and engage each other with short-range infrared missiles or even guns. If you aren't paying close attention to your radar and planning accordingly. Much of our training goes into recognizing different situations and how to react accordingly. Perhaps most interestingly, much of the recognize the situation actually comes from listening to our air intercept controller audio transmissions, which as a, as an aside, that was actually in the film. And I really appreciate mm -hmm. that they put that yeah, in. Eyes in the sky above them. <laughs> Yeah. Back to Clay's response. And not necessarily what our radar via visual cues on the screen. Imagine listening to multiple radio conversations and building a mental model of where perhaps 20 or even 30 different airborne entities, both good and bad, are in relation to you. You have to be a bit of a cerebral person to excel at that. Now throw in the many different models of enemy fighters, each with their own strengths and capabilities. And what you really need to do is spend a lot of study time just trying to remember all the different ways the enemy can kill you. 
And that really does go against the if you think you die thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, back to the Navy's comment earlier. And it really, like you said, that is the whole point of Are You Just Watching? We do not want to turn our brains off and just go with the flow because this stuff influences us. Mm-hmm. We already talked about that. We already talked about yeah. the increase in Navy recruitment after the first film and, you know, how watching these movies can have an impact. As a matter of fact, you had linked an article from Plugged In, and the last line in the article was, and uh, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly, fair <laughs> warning, on the way home, you're going to drive too fast. It's just the way it is. <laughs> and that's how these movies impact us. You know, yeah. when I was a kid, I would come out of action movies thinking I could be a ninja. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting but- when you're driving home from after something like Top Gun Maverick. And I know when I watched it the first time, it was an evening showing. So I was driving home, you know, while it was getting dark or it was already dark. I can't remember. And it was like. When I got in my car, I just suddenly felt so powerful. Like I was getting out on the interstate and I was driving fast, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. you bring that feeling from the movie into the cockpit of your car, you know. So, yeah, I can definitely see how. And, you know, all of the young men who go into the Navy thinking they're going to be a Top Gun pilot, how many of them <laughs> will actually make that? You know, it's like yeah. it may look cool and fun, but there's a lot of work and a lot of training and a lot oh. of book learning and stuff. I mean, in the beginning of this movie, he brings out this maintenance manual for their plane that Mm. looked like a tome. And he was like, you have to know this backwards and forwards to fly your plane. Well, guess what? The enemy knows it too. And then he throws it in the wastebasket. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's knowledge you have to have. But, you know, when when you're going into what you're going into – you have to have knowledge above and beyond that. So yeah, yeah don't, don't turn your brain off. I mean, uh, th- this is kind of what, why we exist. It's like, don't just, don't just watch. <laughs> let me, let me close this out with one last scripture reference. Titus one, seven through nine. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, Sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. And that's where we see the thinking. You have to be a discerning person, and you can't discern if you're not thinking. (laughs) Yep, definitely. So... That's it, guys. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. We enjoyed discussing the movie, and I don't know that we've planned anything for July yet, so make sure you get into Discord or Facebook and, and or call us and give us your suggestions for what you'd like yeah. to hear from us next. So. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. 
the Christian podcast community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts, ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.